Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Vasavi Kumar. She is a licensed therapist, a speaker, and an author. Welcome, Vasavi. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing very well, thank you. I am so excited to have you here. <clears throat> I know that we set this up quite a while ago, so it's nice to finally connect and have you here to do the interview and share all of the beautiful light that you're putting out into the world today with the audience. I am so excited. So with that being said, let's jump right in. The therapist career alone would be a very demanding job and career, I would imagine. Now you add in all these other things that you're doing. How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? It is everything for me. You know, when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 19 years old, which is also known as manic depression, I studied a lot about mania and depression. And with me, my mania looks like racing thoughts. I'm one of the most brilliant creative people that I know, but none of that matters if you don't know how to organize your mind. So I had to learn how to organize my mind. I don't want to say structured to the point of being rigid, but I am organized in my house. There's a place for everything on my computer. There's a place for everything because I have to organize my mind in order to execute the ideas that come through. So it is everything for me from writing my book to how I run my business to, you know, just how I, how I wake up in the morning, like there's a structure for me and I needed to do that to organize my mind, you know, when I learn more about the nature of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so speaking of your mornings, I'm very curious, what does your morning routine look like? It's pretty much the same few things in this order. I set my Alexa I don't have my phone next to me. So I ask Alexa to wake me up at 5.30. I get up at 5.30. I take my hypothyroid medication. Then I go back to sleep for about 45 minutes because you need the medication to kick in. (laughs) I I can't drink coffee until uh, like 45 minutes. So I go back to sleep (laughs) for 45 minutes upon which I get up. I thank God another day alive. I say out loud, thank you God for another day alive. And I do that because there are many days where I might not have woken up because I was so deep in my addiction to cocaine many years ago, right. a very few short years ago, actually four or five years ago. Then the first thing after that, I make my bed, I brush my teeth, wash my face, feed my dog, drink some water, take some more vitamins, make my coffee. And I sit and I read this daily book. It's a dated book. Like every day there's a different scripture passage. And the name of this book is called Women Who Do Too Much. Meditation. Okay women who do too much. So I just take a passage out of there and I drink my coffee and I read it and I sit with the message. So today's message was be present. It was, you know, we can always be living in the future. And these are things that we know, Brad, you know, but for me as a woman who has historically done too much and done the most to prove and prove, I'm not in a season of proving. So for me, it's really good for me to hear that lesson again. Absolutely. And that's something very common with women. They they do do too much and they have Mm -hmm. to be everything because of all the societal conditioning bullshit Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. familial conditioning, all of the things. So, you know, to have that self-awareness and to bring yourself back to that space where you can remember that, no, I just have to be present. I don't have to do it all. And that's it. I am a firm believer in admitting when we need help, admitting when we feel powerless, admitting when we feel weak and asking for help. And then after I do that, I go and I walk my 10K steps. I have a 22-year-old neighbor who gives me so much life. She is so Gen Z and she has made me so much cooler. And I just... (laughs) 
I just knock on our door next door and I'm like, are you ready to go for a walk? And, and she calls it the hot girl walk. So her, her, every morning, her actually, after this interview, I'm going to go walk with her. So we're going to do awesome. our 10K steps. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. hot girl walk. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all part of that routine and staying in that routine. It's amazing. I it's, love it. it's good to have that routine. And I want people to really understand the psychological and emotional reasons why we need to have routine. Many of us do not feel settled and safe in our body. Many of us growing up in homes did not feel fully embraced in their own home. So we outsourced our energy. We outsourced our intuition. We outsourced parts of ourselves to other people for approval and validation. So in order to feel settled within yourself and build that foundation, emotional self-esteem foundation. You got to be consistent and have those with yourself because you're developing trust with yourself. I know no matter how big I get, how much money I have, how much fame I may have because of this book and anything thereafter, I'm going to be okay because yeah. I'm consistent with myself. Yeah. And that's what's important because yeah. everything, absolutely everything in this life starts with self. We are the foundation for everything. That's right. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? I really love these questions, Brad. Let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I mean, honestly, my love language is asking me questions. So thank you. What motivates me? I've been through too much. I've suffered so much in my life and now I'm out of it. And I made a promise to God that if I got through the other side, I would help other people. But I've always been this way since I was a kid. You know, my mom brought us to India when we were young and uh, India, you know, half our population lives on the street and, you know, it's a poverty. Like, I mean, here we have poverty, but in India, it's yeah. like devastation, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, so I saw that at a very young age. So I just, I saw the polarity between what I had and what other people were experiencing. And that really affected me to my core. So I developed very deep empathy for people who are suffering from a very young age. So that's always driven me is that I, I think that, we are here on this earth to be used and to help other people. So that's just, it's always just driven me. And I also have very generous, kind parents who showed what it was like to truly be generous to other people, not just to look good or to get valid. I mean, my parents are still two of the most generous people I know. So yeah. I learned that from them too. I love that you shared that because I am of the exact same mindset that that is a, the part the bigger part of our purpose here on this planet is to help support, lift and cheerlead each other. That's why we're here, yeah. period. Yeah. So if I can do something to use my life to help another person, then so be it. You know, if you see me on the internet, if you Google my name, I've been sharing my suffering out loud for 10 years, 10, 11 years, <laughs> you know? So for me, it's really important because it's cathartic to say that out loud and not have to keep that inside. Our shame shrivels when we say it out loud. And so that's the permission that I hope to give other people. Beautiful. I love it. What motivated or inspired you to get into therapy and pursue a career in that field? And how long have you been a therapist? What motivated me to be a therapist was being my own parents' therapist at the age of four. At the age of four, I write about this in my book, say it out loud. I would mediate my parents between their conflicts. You know, at the age of four, no child should be doing that, but I did right. it. And I was, I, I was, I was pretty good at it. A little more ineffective with my parents, but I was effective on the business front with other clients. But yeah, I'd mediate my parents. And I was just like, you know, I, I would say to my father, can you listen to mom? Just listen to yeah. what she's saying. And then my mom, who's a yeller, I'd say to my mom, please stop yelling. Just talk calmly. What do you want to say to him? Say it out loud. So I chose the profession of social work because I trained myself and was forced to be trained to learn how to resolve conflict between people or try to mediate. So I was like, oh, I'm really good at talking to people. I'm, re yeah. I'm very good at being neutral because yeah. I see both sides. In fact, when I was a kid, my dad and I would be driving back home from school and, and my parents are quite liberal. And my dad would make me listen to conservative talk radio. And he'd say, you have to listen to both sides. You can't just, you know, if you want to be a bleeding heart liberal, which I'm not, he, he would say, you got to hear both sides. He goes, cause then he goes, you're not really growing if you're not listening to both sides. And Very so I just, wise. my dad's the wisest man that I know. And <laughs> yeah, he is. And so he taught me to, to be neutral. And to listen yeah. to both sides. So, you know, as I got older and trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life, you know, first I got my master's in special ed because I love children, but I did not like the school system, the American school system. So I was like, I don't want to be a teacher in the school system. So then I went to India and I worked with survivors of sex trafficking and it was so fulfilling for me. And so then I was like, well, what am I going to do after this? 
And because I'd been in therapy since I was 12 years old for about 16 years straight, I decided I know how effective it's been for me to have someone to talk to. So I'm going to become a social worker. So I went to Columbia and got my master's in social work in 2010, wow. 20, 2008. Yeah. And it was because of my own experience, what I'd experienced and then, you know, living in India for a year and, you know, going back to the motherland and helping people just, I, I, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy Love seeing it. people be freed from suffering. Yeah. When you're doing your therapy work, do you find it hard or not? Maybe at first, when you first started doing the work, do you find it hard to not bring your work home with you? And how do you deal with that so that you do your best not to do that? Because you hear a lot of people do, they bring their work home with them. And it's very hard to separate or divide that work and home life. Well, that goes back to organization, right? So right. in my business, I'm either working in my business or on my business, right? When I'm working in my business, that's me serving my clients. That's me doing that. Once again, this goes back to the structure and organization. There's a time and a place for everything. I work with my clients. We have our sessions. When I'm done talking to a client, I'm done talking to the client. I'm very good at being present and being emotionally like a present and invested. But once we're done with the session, I'm done. I'm very good at being like, okay, that doesn't mean I don't care, but I don't carry my work with me. I saw my mother doing that and I saw my father not doing that. And my father was the more fun parent. So I, I kind of opted to be like him. I, for me, if I'm not having leisure, pleasure and fun, it's no point for me. So I'm very good at separating the two, you know, and I have clear times when I'm working in my business and when I'm working on my business. So yeah. Well, that fun piece is incredibly important. We're only here for a finite time. So we have yeah. to have as much fun as we possibly can. Now I've heard people say, and I'm, I'm going to assume it sounds like this is what it, it was for you too, but that the work in therapy world, that this work has chosen them, people who work in that world, the work has chosen them as opposed to them choosing that field of work. Obviously, you feel the same way that it basically chose you. Yeah, it basically yeah. chose me. And that just it just goes back because I was doing it when I was a kid. So it was just kind of like it just made sense. Yeah. Now I'm kind of moving away from that. But right. I mean, for me, I've been a licensed therapist for 10 years, but it feels like I've been a licensed therapist since I was four. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it feels like I've been offering therapy since I was four. So I'm kind of moving away from that. Okay. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other therapists? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? That's such a great question. I'm very unconventional in my approach. I'm also a licensed certified coach as well. And I'm also a person who has a lot of lived experience. So I'm not a conventional therapist. I don't believe that therapists should just sit there and not self-disclose. I don't think that therapists just sit there and nod their head and not have an opinion. My clients come to me because I have a background in social work and because I look at everything through a psychological lens, but they come to me because I have an opinion and I actually care about what they're doing. And I'm not hundred percent sold on let the client come to their own solution. I don't, I think a lot of times we need guidance. There are right. so many people who do not have guidance, who did not have guidance. And I'm very lucky that I did have guidance, but I, you know, the greatest guidance for me has been my life lessons and having to learn from that and the hardships that I've been through. So what makes me different is that I do self-disclose, not all the time, but with intention. If it's hard for a client to see something, I'll shake up the energy by offering a metaphor, offering a personal example, offering like breaking down what they're going through in an even more simple, a simple way, because it's hard to see ourselves sometimes when we're in it and we can't separate us from the feeling. I also have great banter with my clients. It's important for me that we have banter and have fun. So yeah, sometimes things get really deep. I had a client yesterday, we were laughing hysterically about something and then we started talking about her father and that moved her to tears. I think it's important. To, to experience that with your clients. I'm very good at, like I said, compartmentalizing. Once I'm done, I'm done. But my clients become my family. I don't have a lot of friends. I have maybe two really good friends and my clients feel like family to me. But there are very clear boundaries. It's not right. loose. There's still a lot of boundaries, but within the conversation, it it feels like, wow, I've known this person forever because I, yeah. I, I truly understand what they're going through. Love it. Now you mentioned coaching. So I want to speak a little bit about your coaching journey. I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches have been through their own personal struggles, journeys before making the leap into coaching. And of course, we as human beings have all been through our shit. We've all had to deal with our shit on different levels. What I found though, is that for most of the women that I speak with who are now coaches, their personal struggles and journeys were the catalyst for them becoming a coach. Can you share a little bit about your own personal story? and journey 
you were on before making the leap into the coaching world? Well, this is a great question because, you know, we talked about me going to social work school, right? So I was at Columbia University from 2008 to 2010. And then after that, I was sent an article by my mom's friend about the coaching industry. That's when the coaching industry became hot in 2010. So I became a coach right after social work school because I was like, wait a minute, coaching focuses more on the present and creating the future. That's awesome. And as a social worker, we're working on helping them with stuff in their past. And I'd been in therapy too. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. I can combine my social work and my coaching to help people with their past, present and future. And so for me, it was a natural evolution of me because I was like, well, I don't want to live in my past anymore. And look at this awesome profession called coaching, where we can now focus on the present and the future. And so that felt very freeing for me as an individual who was still in therapy. And so I was like, well, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn how to be a coach. And that's how it happened. And in that coaches training program, they were showing us And they encouraged us to go out and get clients and talk to people and, you know, sell ourselves. And it was the first time that I was like, wait, I'm really good at marketing. I'm like really good at shamelessly self-promoting, but in a way that is in service to other people. Like I was just sharing my energy basically, you know? So me getting clients came very easily to me just because I spoke with such passion and conviction. What in your opinion is one of the most important qualities or skill sets in a coach? I think it's, it is not, I don't know the right word for this, but it's not putting yourself above your client. You cannot put yourself above your client. Even if you know more, you've been, you know, you're a few steps ahead in your journey. That's why most people will go to a coach. You cannot in any way think I'm better than you. You cannot in any way think you need me. You cannot in any way think I'm going to save you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to heal you. No, that is so egotistical. And that is so damaging to the client. Because people can feel that energy. So I don't have hierarchy with my clients. There's, no, I mean, yes, I've been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. And so I understand where they are. They're just another version of me. Just they haven't broken through it yet, right? So yeah. my job is to help pull them through it. And I luckily work with very willing and open clients. But that's what I would say is like, you are not better than anyone. You are not here to fix anybody. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in the marketing and the business of coaching. And so we forget to lead with heart. And then we start to become really watered down. We start copying other people. So just, you know, lead with your authentic voice. Like, how do you actually speak to clients? How can you connect with this person in a way that doesn't sound so manufactured and use coach speak? The other skill that I would say for a coach to become an excellent coach is learn how to talk to anyone about anything. My father taught me that he could, I mean, he was an immigrant from India. If he could do it, come on, people here can do it. You know, I yeah. mean, he's brown skinned man named Shanti Kumar with the thick old mustache. You know, if he can do it, anybody <laughs> here can do it. My dad could talk to anyone about anything and he was genuine. And I learned that from him. And that's what makes me an excellent coach because I can relate to anybody and I, I don't judge. I don't have anything to say about anything you tell me, meaning like, There's nothing you can tell me that's going to shock me. So another thing is, you know, go through some life experience, like go through some life experience and you can best serve your clients, like figure it out, you know, figure, figure out who you are as a coach, go through things in your life and make sense and meeting out of that. And then you'll be able to connect with your clients on a deeper level. Meeting your clients where they're at and that Mm -hmm. authenticity. Yeah, that's it. What lights you up or excites you the most about the work you do as a coach? I'm honestly not lit up about doing my work as a coach anymore. I'm going to be really honest with your audience. What I really, I mean, I've been doing it for so long. I mean, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy listening. But what really is lighting me up these days is speaking, hosting, hosting panels, being back on TV, being interviewed. Um, I also love voiceover work. You know, I narrated the whole book. I did the narration for my book, Say It Out Loud. So I love doing that. I'm in a season where I'm moving away from using my energy to coach other people. And I want to use it to entertain, to speak, to host and share my joy with other people in a bigger way. Now, with you being a coach, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the coaching industry currently. I've had many conversations again with women who are coaches and they've been telling me that they've kind of, they don't like using the word coach because of the bad, the negative connotation that's been attached to the coaching industry over the last couple of years and how, what direction it's gone in. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the industry as a whole. Yeah. When I first started in 2010, it was fun. It was fun. It was new. It was fresh. We were all just trying to like figure it out. And then, you know, of course, a lot of coaches rose to the top 
And then it started to be like, oh, follow what these coaches do. Then it started to become about the business of coaching rather than the the heart of coaching. So I can understand why a lot of people don't want to be referred to as a coach. I don't. I really yeah. don't because it got really tainted. It really yeah. got tainted. And I do think there are some excellent coaches out there. There are a few coaches on Instagram that I love, but that's because they've kept the the, the messaging. They've kept the industry pure. It feels like instead of it's just about the business, it's just about the money. That's important too. It is important to understand that, but it's like so much in your face that you forget about why you got into it in the first place. So. Right. I want to go back to your therapist career as a therapist. I'm sure you do and have done a fair bit of work around and with mental health and having gone through some of your own personal struggles with mental health and so on, addiction, as you mentioned. I'm curious, have you seen a notable shift in mental health and bringing it to the forefront to get more exposure for the issues of mental health since you first started to where you are now? Yeah. I mean, when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, it was 2001. And, you know, there was still a huge stigma around bipolar disorder. There are some diagnoses like ADHD and anxiety is a lot more acceptable in our society than a bipolar disorder. ADHD, anxiety, depression, people talk about no big deal. People yeah. get it. It's easier to digest. But bipolar disorder, people are like, oh, that bitch is crazy. You know, <laughs> that's how people think. And it's like people don't understand bipolar disorder because it has become such an overly used term to like refer to the weather and people just think it's mood swings and it's not. So have I seen a shift? Yes. But like I said, there's still stigma around certain diagnoses, like, right? Like bipolar yeah. disorder being one of them. A lot of people just don't know what that is. So it's important that those who have it speak up, and which is what I do. I do think, yeah, the thing is there are people who are giving mental health advice that should not be giving mental health advice. Like you cannot think your way through depression. You cannot yeah. just think, I mean, if you have a chemical imbalance, I mean, I know for sure that the part of my brain that is bipolar or traumatized is, is not only genetic because I have a history of mental illness, but in my own family, my environment was so, it was so unpredictable and so unstable. It's no wonder that my brain is the way it is. Right. So, which often feels like it attacks me, you know? So I've had to learn how to manage that. And like I said, there is still not enough, I think, talk about bipolar disorder. People just don't understand it. But yeah, I think mm -hmm. for the most part, people are trying. But yeah, people are trying to coach their way through a mental illness. And that's also the thing. Like coaches are trying to give mental health advice. And it's like, you really need to not do that. Yeah. And there's also the talk of medication is bad. You can heal yourself naturally. And I'm like, listen, I do all the things, right? I walk. Mm -hmm. I take my vitamins, my supplements. I pray. I have great boundaries. I'm kind to myself. My self-talk is excellent. And you know, on April 1st, I decided to go back on medication. I decided right. to get back on mood stabilizers April 1st because I realized I was doing all the things and my mind was still messing with me. It was really messing with me. Like, and I do the most. I, I really do. I do a lot to take care of myself. And I was like, it should not be this hard to feel this good when I'm doing all the things. So I got back on meds and, you know, I've had people say, girl, why don't you just start doing cold plunges? Why don't you just start? Like, I'm like, listen, do not give me advice about my brain. It's the most irritating thing that you can do. So my point is with mental health and social media, people do have more access to information. And that's a beautiful thing. People who didn't even realize that they have an ADHD and anxiety or depression or any, or any sort of trauma or anything, they're now becoming aware of it. That's awesome. But there's a lot of conflicting messages out there. So what I want to say is you are the patient. Become an educated consumer. Become an educated patient. When I'm put on medication, first thing I do is look at the side effects. How is this going to affect me? Is this going to stunt my creativity? Is this going to make me gain weight? I ask my doctor, don't just take something because the doctor told you to take it. Look it up, understand what the side effects are, and don't be turned off to having a holistic plan, which may include medication. And if not, that's fine. But, you know, for me, I just realized it's not a sign of weakness to get on medication. There's a couple things in there that I love that you said. And the first thing was just the last, one of the last things she says about the doctors. We have been conditioned to hold these people in such high regard that they know everything and we should trust everything they say. And that's just not true. I don't believe it. Like you said, Yes. Okay. Your doctor tells you, you got to be on this. It does this, 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 but do your research. You have the ability to research things, but we have been conditioned that no, what the doctor says is law. That's it. Just believe it. And yeah. then one of the other things you mentioned about people that are 
handing out diagnoses who shouldn't be. I had a guest on my podcast a little while ago, and we were talking about this. She lives in Australia now. She's worked in the prison systems. She was clinically depressed. And we got to this conversation about kids and how in the school system in the UK, she was saying that counselors, school counselors are diagnosing these kids with depression. It's like, listen, kids can have days, teenagers can have days where they feel sad. That doesn't make them depressed. And people are so quick to jump to say, you have anxiety, you have depression, you're feeling sad, that's depression. No, it's okay to feel sad. That doesn't mean you're fucking depressed. Stop diagnose, as you said, stop. You don't have a license to diagnose people. You should not be handing out diagnose. You're a fucking school counselor. And then of course, you got to go to the doctor. Let's get you on medication right away. That's the first fucking thing. And that's another thing with doctors that pisses me off too, is that the first step, nope, let's write a script. Get this person on medication. You're fucking creating zombies. This has got to stop. It's got to stop. And that's the thing. I think people don't understand. It's okay to have big feelings. It's okay to have a bad day. You know, two weeks ago, I was manic as fuck. I was just like, great. I got all my work done. I did everything. And then right after that, that's the way my brain works is I go, go, go. And then I crash. So then I was like, this is once again, do your research. I could have easily said, oh my God, I'm going up and now I'm falling. Oh my God. Oh, I got to increase my medication. I said, no, I'm on the lowest dose of my mood stabilizer, the lowest dose. So I Googled, I didn't know that this was the term. And you would think I would know this after 21 years of being diagnosed, I had experienced a hypomanic crash. And so I was like, oh shoot. Okay. So now that I know my cycle, I was diagnosed with bipolar type one, which is two weeks of hypomania. So I'm like superwoman, superwoman, superwoman. (laughs) And I know how to channel that energy before I would hurt myself. Like I would use drugs to self-medicate that because it was too much. But now I know, okay, we feel like superwoman. We feel like wonder woman. I get my work done. I go socialize. I do that. And I come home and I sleep and whatever. But if I don't know how to manage that, then yes, I'm going to crash. And that's what I experienced. So rather than email my psych, my psychiatrist and say, raise my meds. I looked up how to avoid a hypomanic crash. I said, how to avoid? I I mean, whatever. I mean, if you only saw my Google search history, how (laughs) how to avoid a hypomanic crash? And it basically just said, it's all about awareness. I gotta be mindful of that. Ooh, I'm running, I'm being fueled. And so now I know moving forward, if it happens again, because it probably will, I will be able to say, oh, this is what I'm experiencing. Okay, Voss, let's not burn ourselves out. Let's start to teeter down on our own. Let's go to sleep a little bit earlier. You know, just being more mindful and seeing that and not immediately thinking, oh no, I'm going fast. I have to slow down. No, I'm, I intentionally slow down because I now have the awareness and the information. You get what I'm saying? So yeah, absolutely. But this speaks to a whole other issue where people are too fucking lazy to do the research. (laughs) They just want to be spoon fed everything and they believe everything they're told. Yes. Stop believing. It's got to change. There's got to be a shift. There has to be a shift. But if you think about it, think about we are conditioned from a young age to put God on a pedestal, our parents on a pedestal, our teachers on a pedestal, the doctors on a pedestal, the cops on a pedestal, the president on a pedestal. Fuck everybody. Why (laughs) why are we not putting ourselves on the same pedestal? I I mean, first of all, we don't need pedestals, right? But we, we don't need that. But like, why are you not holding yourself to a higher regard? Why are people either above you or beneath you, right? And this is, that's that bipolarity that we have like, oh, you're either here or you're either here. It's like two separate poles. So we really have to listen to ourselves and question everything. And I talk about that Absolutely. in my book. Yeah. Question everything it. you've been told. It. Yeah. I still think of course, mental health awareness is nowhere near where it should be. It doesn't get talked about it enough in my opinion. And I think it's still swept under the rug, like a dirty little secret. Would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. Because it's like, in our country, in our society, right? We have this Protestant work ethic. It's like, and it's all about being strong and it's all about being productive. And if you show any sign of weakness and you're basically going to just be ostracized, right? So mental health and mental health challenges are put under the category of weakness still, although some of the most brilliant, successful people struggle on the daily with mental illness, right? If, what's his name? Terry Bradshaw. Who's the sports yep. commentator? Terry Bradshaw, yeah. He openly talks about his bipolar disorder. You know, when I see more men talking about their mental health challenges, I'm like, yes, we need more men to talk about this as well, because women talk about it and they're considered crazy, right? We're considered crazy or too much. So we need men to talk about 
mental is <laughs> illness. Yeah, <I> <laughs> men need to step up and start talking about a lot more shit than just mental illness. I mean, and again, this goes back to speaking about the conditioning because yeah. boys are taught growing up: don't show your emotions, don't cry, stop crying like a little girl, da da da, man up. All this shit that they're brought up with, it, and the conditioning needs to be broken. It needs to be. That cycle needs to be broken, and we as parents mm -hmm. need to start with our boys when they're young, teaching them that it's okay. As you said earlier, it's okay to have big emotions. Show your emotions. Share them. Absolutely. That's where we've got to start. Well, and if they don't know how to do that, then what is so predictable, because I saw it in my own life, you know, at the age of 12, may not seem like a big deal, but now when I look at it, I'm like, damn, at the age of 12, I smoked my first cigarette. Yeah, I smoke. That is not right. That is not normal. It took me 27 years to stop smoking. I smoked until I was 39 years old. I mean, no one would believe it if they saw me. I mean, it's like, wow, really? Like I love being healthy and all that stuff. I smoked for 27 years and I smoked at the age of 12 because at home, similar to young boys, I had really big emotions. Yeah. And my mother would blow up when I had big emotions. My father would try to coddle me or buy me stuff or feed me or give me food when I was having a big emotion. So I didn't know how to regulate my emotions. My emotions were not acceptable at home. And then when I got to school, I got made fun of for being Indian, for being the only Indian in an all white school. So, you know, you have to learn how to survive. So what did I do? I if you can't beat them, you join them. So all the people right. that bullied me in school growing up, I started being like them. And I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 12. Once again, this goes back to had I had a home where all of me was allowed, I would yeah. not have been so fragmented and sold parts of myself to the devil growing up. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it starts so, at home is what I want everyone to hear this. Stop outsourcing the job of parenting your kids to teachers. You know? Like yes. parents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In your opinion, then, how do we start to make bigger strides with this and bring more awareness to the problem? Realize that you are the problem and you are the solution. You are the problem. You are yeah. the problem. The way you think is the problem. The way you communicate is the problem. The way you think about yourself, the way you think about the world is the problem. But you're also the solution. Oh, God, I just wish the world was like this. I, I mean, you are, you are part of the world. You are the world. Make the change. Like, I have no control, Brad over anybody else. I have tried so hard to control people in my life, especially the men that I date doesn't work. And it just, <laughs> no, I, I'm being for real. So we, we have to work on ourselves. That's it. I am very much a, I can only control myself, my emotions, my thoughts, my reactions, and that is it. Everything else is an extension of that. But that's a huge mindset shift, getting into that headspace for people that realizing and having the self-awareness that Again, it all starts here within us. And we are the only ones who can change the shit in our life. If you don't like the fucking channel, change it. Get up off your ass and change the channel. That's right. Period. That's right. If you don't like what you're hearing, you don't like what you're seeing, change the channel. Yeah. No one's going to be your superhero. You have to be your own fucking superhero. Oh, we're conditioned, like you said, going back, men are yeah. the heroes, women are the damsels. Yeah. We have a society of being saved and being the savior, right? Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Save your damn self. That's yes. what I got to say. Save your damn self. <laughs> so what do you think then is the biggest roadblock or hurdle that's preventing us from shining a brighter light onto the, the mental health issues and getting more assistance and awareness around it? I think at the end of the day, we are very afraid of being alone, rejected, and abandoned. We are so afraid of people people seeing us in our most vulnerable state, in our weakest state, in our most helpless state. So we tell ourselves, I can figure it out. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Well, you know, you can take yourself to a certain degree, to a certain point, but you do need help along the way. So it's that admitting of help. I would not be where I am today had I not admitted that I was powerless in the face of drugs, alcohol, relationships, myself. So, you know, you don't get to where you are by acting like everything's okay while you're suffering in silence. And again, that brings up the whole conditioning thing, yeah. it, th this common thread, right? We are not meant to do anything. We're not meant to do this life alone. Entrepreneurship yeah. cannot be done alone. Life cannot be done alone. You need a support system around you. You need community. And I think we have gotten so far away from community. We need to get back to that. I remember when I was a kid, my mom was babysitting a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. Wow. Parents dropped their kids off. 
and went about their business, had to go to work or whatever. They had to do whatever they had to do for the day. We've gotten away from that. People don't even fucking know who their neighbors are. They don't even say mm-hmm. hi. Now, you, on the other hand, mentioned earlier that you go walking with your neighbor. You'll go knock on your neighbor's door. But the majority of people don't. They don't talk to their neighbors. We need to get back to community because that is, I think, part of the foundation for life. Mm-hmm. We need that. And yeah. it's gone. It's missing. Yeah. And also, we, we live in a society of distrust. No one trusts fear, each other. Yes, fear. Yep. It's a lot of fear. And for me, I, I, don't, I don't live like that because I've lived like that for so long. I honestly feel like I'm protected. And I'm like, I'm going to be okay no matter what. I've been through the worst stuff in my life. I've seen some pretty awful things in my life. I've done some terrible things to myself. So I'm going to be okay. I'm like, I'm going to be okay. I'm not afraid of much. I'm really not. I mean, I'm not afraid of people unless it's like obviously someone who's yes. threatening my life. Yeah. But I don't walk around being afraid. I assume the best of people. And this goes back to starting with self. If you were always assumed the worst as a child, if you were not celebrated for the goodness and you basically were made to feel like crap when you did bad things. So you're going to harbor a lot of shame. And inside every single one of us, there's that voice that's like, I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. Like, you know, cause we were told we're, we're bad. If you do that, don't be bad. Right. But just because you yeah. do something bad doesn't make you bad. Right? right. You know what I'm saying? Like you could yep. do a shitty thing without being a shitty person. It's exactly. Just a shitty- so we are walking around with so much shame and that's why we assume the worst of ourselves, or we worry that someone's going to assume the worst of us. So then we just start assuming the worst of others yeah. instead of seeing the best. And I know the reason why I work so well with clients is because I don't think I'm better than them. I know that I'm worse. <laughs> I know that I'm worse. I know how dark my mind can go. However, I also have the experience of me seeing myself in a really beautiful, bright light, right? And there's not enough of that. We... Most of us haven't been shown how brilliant and beautiful we are. We've been highlighted all the things that are wrong with you. I want to just say this to your listeners because this is very timely. You know, my book is coming out in the next 12 days, right? I don't know when you're going to release this, but it's coming out. And I I was saying this to a girlfriend. And I think I was saying this to my therapist too. I said, you know, this is freaking weird. My whole life, I have been scrutinized. I have been rejected. I have been made to feel unlovable. I have been made to feel intolerable. I have been made to feel that who I am as I am is just too much. And now I'm getting all this praise for my book. I'm getting all this love. I'm getting like people are, you know, tagging me on Instagram. Look, I got say it out loud. My name's and it's a fucking trip because I'm like, wait, I am not used to this much praise of me. I'm not used to this much celebration. So it really is that Marianne Williamson quote, right? It is our light that we are most afraid of, right? It's like, it's just feeling really weird right now that so many people are celebrating me. I'm not used to it. So it's important. And I've been celebrating myself, you know, with my friends and whatever, but now to see the world like public or people I don't know, it's like, yeah. oh, it's, it's feeling kind of fresh. Yeah. Real. This yeah. conditioning thing is a bitch. It's, it's so ingrained into us. And, you know, we're taught, as you said, all of the bad things are highlighted. Every single one of us is here on this planet with a gift. Every single one of us, some have more gifts, some have one. We all have at least one gift within us. And it is our, I believe it is our duty, our responsibility to share that gift with the world. We are not, you You cannot deprive the world of our, of our gifts. That is why you're here is to share that. It's not for you. The gift is so much bigger than you. It's for the people in the world. And it is your duty and your responsibility, I believe, to share that with the world. I 100%. You know, in Hinduism, in Sanskrit, the word is dharma. Dharma means duty. And I saw that from a young age. My father, he's such a good dad. Hashtag girl dad or dad girl, whatever. He would, he would always, he always said he didn't have a really good father. And my father always said he only could be a, a good dad to girls because he was so sensitive to us. My dad was so sensitive to us. And I just remember, you know, wait, hold on. I, I forgot the, the original question. Where was I going with this? Where was I going with this? I swear I had a thought. We're we're talking about shining a light, a brighter light on ment- onto the mental health issues and getting more assistance and awareness around it. And then we just went off on conditioning and all the of conditioning. The Shoot, Shine, our gifts, shining a light, and that we are inherently good. I, I really, I listen, I had a great story. I have no idea what the point is. I am not even going to sit here and act like I remember. So we just need to keep it moving. It's okay. I, you can edit this out or your people can listen. I had a brain fart. Listen, it's That's part okay. of me. 
it's it's a, it's a part of having bipolar disorder, you know. We'll, we'll keep it in. We'll yeah. keep it in for authenticity. I love it. <laughs> all right. Okay. It's all right. So you mentioned your book. Let's speak a little bit about your book. What is the title of the book? Is it autobiographical? What's it all about? And why did you decide to write the book? My book is called Say It Out Loud, Using the Power of Your Voice to Listen to Your Deepest Thoughts and Courageously Pursue Your Dreams. I wrote this book because I know what it's like to live in your mind and have cruel, cynical, harsh, condescending voices. This is a book that teaches my readers how to talk to themselves. You know, a lot of books have journal prompts. These have verbal prompts. So at the beginning of every chapter, I give you a verbal prompt. I say, answer this out loud. And I give you a question. You got to ask that question out loud. You got to answer it out loud. I'm teaching my reader how to talk to and respond back to different parts of yourself. One of the things that I loved about taking acting and voiceover classes is that, you know, we know as actors that we have subpersonalities or different parts inside of us. And when we want to get ready to embody a character, we channel that energy of that character, right? Like, I'm not Vasavi anymore. I'm the energy of that character, but that right. energy still lives within me. So anyway, each of those subpersonalities and each of those parts has its own unique voice and the way of speaking and personality and you know, just and flair and persona. So I believe, you know, that when we learn how to talk to each of those parts and respond back, we can access in doing so and really using compassionate curiosity with ourselves, we can access that voice of God within us, the voice of intuition, our our source, whatever you want to say. I don't I don't have issues with saying the word God, but if you don't like saying the word God, you know, that universal source energy, creator energy, the wise one, the sage, we all have access to our intuition. But in order for that voice to be louder than the nagging voices, the cynical voices, the angry voices, and all those voices are valid. But what I'm saying is you got to be the quarterback of all the voices in your head, right? If you want to win the game, whatever the game is, you want to slay the day, you want to you know, hit that bottom line, whatever that is, you got to get all the voices on your head on board because it's you as a whole person. And this book is really about bringing all the different parts of you. Every chapter in my book refers to a different part of you. And you got to learn how to talk to and get those voices on board and have those different parts of you trust you. Because somewhere along the line, you fragmented, those parts of you split off, you disowned them, you abandoned them. You're like, oh, mom didn't like this. Oh, I got to stop being like this. Or, oh, I don't like this. So I, don't, I, I can't be like this anymore. Oh, this is not acceptable. So, oh, can't say that. Then who the hell are you? You're yeah. a shell of a person. You are a shell of a person. And then you wonder why your life is not fun, why you feel so bland, why you feel watered down in your marketing, in your message, in your personal life is because you are not fully being you. And so this book, I hope at the end of the day, will help people courageously pursue their dreams and live out loud. I'm teaching you how to talk to yourself. No expensive ass journals required. You literally just need your voice. <laughs> You just need your voice and you ask those prompts out loud. You answer and I give you scripts on how to dialogue with yourself. We all have access to the different parts of us. Beautiful. And yeah. so how cathartic was the process of writing your book for you? It was so cathartic. You know, my... <laughs> My back hurt. My my sacrum, I had a very weak sacrum. So I was in PT, physical therapy, while I was writing my book. It was very interesting how my roots were weak while I was writing the book. And so I had to write the book and strengthen my roots. You know you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Like metaphorically, it was kind of a trip. I was like, why is this happening? I'm writing a book. My roots are hurting. So I, I got into physical therapy, aquatic therapy. I strengthened my sacrum. I'm very strong down there now. So <laughs> it was cathartic because I'll tell you this. You realize how little you can bullshit yourself when you're writing a book, when you're teaching your readers how to do something. And you asked me if this was autobiographical. There are some personal stories, of course, but this book is not about me. I dedicated my book to all those who suffer in silence. I use my stories and the stories of my clients to help you see yourself. But this book is teaching you chapter by chapter how to talk to yourself. Vasavi, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I don't know if I'm still learning all the lessons, but I'll tell you this. There are many things that I've learned. The most important thing that I have learned uh, up until today, okay, because there's still a lot more to learn. Oh, man, that honestly, it's like if something lights me up, if I feel that electric spark inside of me and every single part of me is lit up, I need to do it. And the art of patience and discernment, you know, as someone who has had to learn how to regulate her nervous system, I have to be discerning. Am I just addicted to the high 
Or is this something that actually lights me up? So when I feel a spark, I don't immediately take action anymore like I used to. Unless it's like, you know, there are just some situations you're like, yes, boom. A full body, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, like when I heard about the movie Air with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I didn't have to discern whether I was going to buy a freaking ticket. I bought the ticket on the spot. I was like, oh, I got to do, I made a date night with myself. Like not those things, but other things, you know, just stuff in my business or, or a response to somebody. I wait. I give myself the art of waiting and the art of just patience, not for too long, but I realize if I give myself, Vas, give yourself 24 hours, give yourself 36 hours, sit with it. If it comes from a very neutral, clear place, then I do it because I have to be mindful because of my brain chemistry, not to just chase the high. So if I have a great idea, I'm like, yes. And then I'm like, okay, let's sit with this for a little bit. And then I'm like, no, this is really good. I'll be honest with myself. It helped me get honest. And I am very clear now on this is a yes and this is a no. I wish I would have known that before. That's what I want to say. I always freaking knew. I wrote in my book, what you're going to read in my book is from what I wish I would have known. And I said, no, correction. I knew what I should have done, but I didn't listen. That's what it was. So it was like, I've always known. I've always known right from wrong. And I don't mean right, wrong, like like what's right and wrong for me. I've always known this person is not a good fit for you. Nope, this guy is not going to love you the way you need to be loved. I've always known it. But for me, because I do see the best in people, I always be like, no, it's going to work. It's going to work. And that's very childlike thinking. I have to grow up. I have to realize that not everyone has your best interests at heart. It was very naive thinking on my part. So I'm a little less naive. I have an excellent red flag radar and I listen to it and I don't doubt it. If I don't like someone, I'm not going to hang out with you. If I don't need your vibe, I'm not going to talk to you. And I don't need to explain that. I don't need to try to find something. Listen, if I don't like you face value, if I don't feel your energy, I don't put in the effort, period. And that may sound rootless, but the only thing that we have control over is our energy. So if, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. And I consider myself to be someone who is pretty damn congruent with who she is and what she says. So I don't doubt myself anymore. Love it. Yeah. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Fine. Promise. Promise. I won't go off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's still still more time for you to go off. We have more questions after. So don't worry. Okay. All right. How would you describe yourself in one word? Charismatic. What is your favorite self-care practice? Sitting there in silence and deep breathing. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? How to talk to themselves. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? She made me want to love myself more. What never fails to make you laugh? <laughs> you know, like fart jokes, poop jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, just, yeah, just, you know, Seinfeld, you know, just dry humor. Yeah. 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 Okay. That concludes the rapid fire section. Yeah. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay. Vasavi, what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? I assume the best of people. I assume that everyone wants to do their best and everyone has the best of intentions. And I have an insane amount of faith in myself and God. Like I'm crazy to the point of like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives? It's okay to burn things down and it's okay to start over and it's okay to change your mind. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I have crazy visualizations, like I can see it before it happens, and I just have to stay the course. I can see things before they happen. I and yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, I always knew these days would come where people would know who I am, and writing this book, and I've been. You know, God always says to me, I'll give you everything that you want, but you got to love yourself. I can't give you everything you want if you're still doing things that aren't in the highest form of love for you. So I've really been getting ready on the inside. So I've been taking a look at habits that I have that maybe don't serve me or people in my life, maybe exes in my life that I shouldn't keep around. You know, maybe this is, you know, I've just been looking at everything because I really take that seriously. Wow. Everything that I want is on the other side of me fully valuing myself. And what does that look like on a day-to-day basis, Vasavi? So I've been having those conversations with myself. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I love that I lead with joy. I lead with 
wanting to connect. I lead with finding similarities. You know what I mean? It's like, what can we connect on? What's one thing we can, you know, that's what I look for. I'm not afraid of people because I'm not afraid of people and my heart's not closed down. People feel my heart. Even if I'm like, even if I'm sick and even if I'm tired, I will not put that on anybody else. I'm very good at delineating. This is my shit and that's yours. So no matter how I feel internally, I will still treat you really well. Do you know what I mean? I won't put that on anybody. I just, I I don't dump on It's your stuff and you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? You know, I really love Lizzo. I really love how she puts herself out there. And I know that she has so much hate out there, but people also really love her. And just the way, you know, because our our society is superficial, you know, and they, they say the mean, I mean, this, I I would love to like in, in the most recent like time. Yeah. I would love to, cause I follow her and I'm just like, God damn it. She puts herself out there and you know how mean people are. People say the worst body shaming things and whatever. And I, I respect and admire her tenacity she just puts herself out there you know and I, I saw a recent post of hers she posed nude for a photo shoot i don't know if it was on the cover of a magazine or something but it was on instagram and the comments that i saw from people it's just like what the fuck it's vicious like, that's it's horrible it's vicious you know i think about those people and i'm like I feel sorry for them. I feel They're so hurt. sorry. Yeah, you, you have so much self-hatred. Yeah. Like you cannot, I mean, when I look at that, I'm inspired. I, my brain does not go there. So I'm, man, call me crazy or having the mental illness, but y'all are the ones <laughs> that are sick. Cause I don't even think, I don't think like that. I, no I would way. never, when people hate on Beyonce, when people hate on, how do you hate someone just living, providing entertainment? What do yeah. we turn to? What do we turn to in times of suffering? We turn to artists. Film, music, yeah. all of these things. To, it's a, an escape. It's an escape. and But then you're going to hate on the artist because you don't like what the artist looks like. It's messed up. So, you know, that's who I'd want to sit down with. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? is be as loud as you want and be as exuberant as you want. And it's fine. I was loud. I was funny. I mean, I make jokes. Once I start with the jokes, I mean, in my family, I'll roast everybody. <laughs> I'll make fun of it. I mean, everyone loves it. Cause I, I, I say it from a good place. I don't hurt, but once I'm on a roll, I cannot stop. And it's, yeah. So I really love that part of me. Cause I'm very witty. I even did stand up comedy for a little bit. I'm an excellent entertainer because I can banter with people. I'm not afraid. I don't get offended. Whatever. Say what you want about me. So, yeah, I would give her more permission to be as exuberant as she wants to be. Beautiful. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your people, your tribe, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? This is a great question. You ask really good questions, Brad. Hold on. Thank you. Okay, this is what I would say. It may not be 30 seconds, but I'd be like, everything is really going to work out. There is no need to be afraid of being successful. You're going to be okay. Yes, you are going to lose people, but you're going to find new people that you're going to align with. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's what I would say. There's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Beautiful. Vasavi, thank you so much. This has been such a beautiful, inspirational, fun conversation. I have enjoyed every minute of it so thoroughly. Thank you so much for making the time and taking the time to be here with me today. You are a true inspiration. Keep shining that bright, beautiful light of yours out into the world and doing all the beautiful things that you're doing for people and supporting people and just keep being you. I appreciate you. you. Thank you, Brad. It's an absolute pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Vasavi Kumar. She is a licensed therapist, a speaker, and the author of the book, Say It Out Loud, which will be coming out. When does it drop? It's coming out May 16th, but you can pre-order it. Yeah, you can pre-order it now. Yeah. And this episode will be dropping on May 15th, the day before it is yes, released. that's what I'm talking <laughs> so. about, Brad. Yeah, so you can go to vasavikumar.com forward slash order the book. I also have a book club in June. It's a virtual book club led by me. We're going to have a lot of fun. So that's my free gift to everyone who pre-orders. Beautiful. I will also put the link in the show notes so that people have it so they can go buy the book the next day, the day after the episode is released. So once again, thank you so much, Vasavi. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. 
Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.